Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Major League Baseball has every one of its players hurt that matters. The NHL postseason is happening, so they tell us. And the National Basketball Association in its first round has provided some thrilling matchups in the early going, some blowout series already, some humorous results if you're fans of certain teams, rocking basketball back in New York. I'm talking about Madison Square Garden, not in Brooklyn. And we could start with the Lakers because we're homers for the Lakers. And the game is currently on and people have interest in L.A. always. The Suns fans cheering, beat L.A., beat L.A., which to me is interesting. I'm not sure if you need to be like grandfathered into that chant or not. Like, did you have to have a good team in the 80s or 90s? in order to use that chant now? Or can the younger generation of fans use the Beat LA chant? Now, not to say the Suns and the Lakers don't have history. They have played in the postseason. The Suns have been good against the Lakers in the postseason, too. So maybe they're grandfathering as well. Some teams, I'm not sure, though, if I want to hear them scream Beat LA. Like, maybe do something first before you get to scream that. I don't know if the old report has an opinion on what we should be chanting to the Lakers to try to get under their skin. Well, it's not just, first of all, greetings to all our fans and friends out there. We hope they had a great week. Uh, we certainly did, and everybody is healthy as we continue to try and get our way completely out of this pandemic in time for 4th of July so everybody can enjoy their summers. we got a holiday weekend coming up. We remember our veterans on this Memorial Day weekend, uh, and our thoughts and prayers go out to all those families, and we honor all those veterans, those who we lost, the families who've lost loved ones, etc. cetera. Uh, important weekend to have our thoughts with them. In regard to the, the, the Beat LA scenario, it's easy to say. It doesn't matter what sport it is. It's the Dodgers. It's the Lakers. I, I suppose you, you could do it with the Rams, but you know, is it really necessary? And you know, we know it's not necessary with the Clippers uh, because they're barely LA. They were San Diego uh, originally, but the bottom line is, you know, they beat themselves. Um, but it's easy to say, and they're longstanding championship franchises. And, you know, it's a good way to try and have your voice be heard. But the bottom line is, uh, I don't think the teams that reside there and are the defending world championships in two of the major sports are going to worry too much about what fans chant. Uh, even though they may be back in the building for the first time. Uh, and I think that's pretty much the case for any championship team. So, But it's easy to say. Uh, it's got a nice ring to it. So uh, it's going to continue to roll uh, you know, throughout. It's just a question of uh, which arena it's going to show up in next. 
You got to feel for the fans of teams with many syllabled names, like most recently, and we'll mention hockey for our hockey brethren. Let's go, Islanders. There's a lot going on there. You know, they could shorten it maybe to Isles. I don't know why they don't. Islanders being the three syllables, they really got to try and force feed it in toward the end. So I feel for the teams that have a lot going on for them. Let's go, Bucks. You could shorten that instead of Buccaneers. It's very difficult to chant. And it's very difficult, I guess, for fans to remember chants. We're going to talk about the Knicks and the Hawks in a second, but the fact that at Madison Square Garden, they felt the need that they had to pass around pamphlets and let fans know that the chant of Game 2 was going to be about Trey Young losing his hair. The balding Trey Young. The young, balding Trey Young. But That's ins- the best they could do. Instead of just having a group start that, they had to put a paper out that says, tonight is going to be the chant and here's why. Trey Young is 22 years old, and he is balding. So we're going to make that the chant tonight, like they would at a college basketball game. Like, Duke has done that for the Cameron Crazies, but it's because there's 12, 14, 15 different chants that they're going to do throughout the game. Trey is balding being your only chant, and then having a paragraph that says, quote, at only 22 years old, Trey's hair is thinning at an alarmingly fast pace, and he has a bald spot forming on the crown of his head. This will be a much more effective chant to take advantage of home court and throw Trey off his game. (laughs) Thank God somebody printed these papers out and let everybody know that we're all going to get in unison here trey is balding and versus the chant from game one which was you can say it crickets for the knicks fans for trey it's getting it's fucking quiet in here was his chant here is the problem this is a fan base led by you know one of the world's largest horses asses spike lane all right and a bunch of b-list celebrities like tracy morgan and the, the, the dope from Entourage, whatever his name is, who now suddenly, since basketball is back in the garden, and playoff basketball is back in the garden for the first time uh, since Carmelo was there, this supposed group of 19,000 plus in the Mecca that has self-proclaimed themselves for years the most knowledgeable basketball fans here in the basketball capital of the world where they're all knowing, all seeing, and why wouldn't anyone want to come play here before those fans? The best they could come up with in game one was F Trey young after he, during and after he put them to sleep and then passing out pamphlets with line by line instructions to chant. And then for good measure, let's spit on it. I was rooting for the Knicks when this series started. After game one, they can't lose by enough. Anything that sends this crowd packing as quickly as possible is all right by me. Because what a bunch of pathetic, clueless, holier-than-thou buffoons inhabit Madison Square Garden as fans and try and pass themselves off as top shelf holier than now 
We are the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-encompassing basketball fans. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's a joke. To spit on a guy? Literally spitting on him. After you have a chant with a four-letter word throughout game one in which he lights you up for the winning bucket. They rallied in game two. Good for them. Good for Tom Thibodeau and and the players. But that crowd is an embarrassment. I wouldn't want to be called a New York basketball fan if you're going to put me in the company of that bunch of mama lungs. They're an embarrassment. They are a joke. And they're nothing more than a bunch of horses' asses passing themselves off as this incredibly knowledgeable, we are the basketball world. Fuck you. Enough already. Spike Lee walking around like a clown in another in another clown suit. You're no Jack Nicholson, Spike, and you never will be. All right. Plain and simple. And they're they're an embarrassment to the league. They're an embarrassment to the Knickerbocker players. And they're an embarrassment to New York. And no one's going to have the guts to tell them to be ashamed of themselves. And then you have the mayor out there telling Trey Young to play real basketball. It's a guy who wouldn't know a basketball court, you know, from, you know, traffic court. So it's just the entire genre of the Knicks has taken on a very ugly scene for me, and they can't lose it up as far as I'm concerned. Well, now you've got my generation, the millennials, as the main Nick fans, and even the Gen Z folks are starting to get into the fold, and these are fans that you get a feeling weren't necessarily fans or around for the Patrick Ewing years, that dynasty of sorts where they were almost always in the Eastern Conference Finals, or at least could compete for it, and then you get into the Allen Houston, Latrell Sprewell, Larry Johnson days, Lynn Sanity, Carmelo, should we even go there? You wonder how long these Nick fans have been around for. Maybe they've just been closeted, deservedly so, because the Knicks haven't been a great basketball team. And now they have to let all this pent-up energy out, a year without basketball, a year without being able to go to Madison Square Garden, although they weren't going. They weren't, the Garden wasn't selling out. And I walked past there going to work. You could get tickets off the street for $20. Go watch them play basketball. Zion comes to town. Then the tickets go up to $100 plus. But for the past several years, you could walk outside that place. They're begging you to go into the stadium. They're not selling the place out every night. But now all of a sudden, the Knicks are back. Okay. But the clientele has changed a little bit in the past 20 plus years when it comes to postseason basketball. And to be honest, as most New York fans are to others that are not New York fans, scumbags. You know, you look around Yankee Stadium. I'm a huge Yankees fan. A lot of scumbags. (laughs) A lot of people that you wouldn't want to necessarily sit down and have a beer with if you're not a fan of that said team. And they're the ones that get on television. They're the ones that you see front and center. These assholes, as you rightly put it. They act like thugs. They they, They make total asses of themselves. What is the purpose to be seen spitting on somebody. What is the purpose? What are you trying to accomplish by spitting on an NBA player from the second row? What is the thought process behind that? Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, here's the sense. Here's what would make sense is for the guy to get his face bashed in. 
That's what makes sense. Because technically, you know, spitting on someone is, is you can charge, you can you can file charges against. Them. I'm not saying that that is going to happen. In fact, Trey Young is not going to press charges. But whoever, you should never be let back into an NBA arena from your top-notch seat in the second row in a playoff game. You thought it would be really cool to spit on an NBA player. Well, aren't you hot stuff? Flyboy, aren't you cool? Could you be a bigger idiot? Literally, could you be a bigger fool? Could you be a bigger joke? Could you be a bigger embarrassment to your family, to your friends, to your city, and to your team? Stay the fuck home. Watch the game on your fucking phone. What a tough guys we've seen so far in the NBA playoffs pouring popcorn on Russell Westbrook while he's trying to get out of the game and get his ankle checked on people chanting ridiculous, racist, homophobic, et cetera, things at players over and over again. And then they speak up about it like Kyrie Irving did in saying, hopefully when we go to Boston, we don't get racist slurs. Why don't you just open the, the door, Kyrie? Why, why don't you just not fan the flames? Why don't you just start the fire? Which then leads to former players, Kendrick Perkins, Danny Ainge. Well, I never heard those types of things. Oh, well, I've never seen aliens, Al. That must mean that all these videos that we've been seeing going around that look like surveillance camera footage from a 2000 blockbuster where these little dots move around in black and white and we're supposed to think that those are UFOs. They don't exist at all because I've never seen it. So that was an interesting way to get the series started. Hopefully the racism in Boston doesn't continue. Well, now they're going to go at it tenfold, Kyrie. Look what you've done to yourself. The best thing that could happen to the NBA for most of these series is they'd be three out of five. Milwaukee obliterated the Heat again tonight. That series is over. It should be over now. The Nets will, I'm sure, annihilate Boston in the first game in Boston. To take a three nothing lead, and end that series, Philly disposing of the Wizards, three out of five should be the route in the first round of the NBA. It would make it so much better because it would get rid of the bad series quicker, and it would make the good series so much better. Because you know you're a favorite and you lose game one at home. We talked about this in three out of five NL ALCSs in baseball. And when it's three out of five and you lose the first, you lose the first one, panic mode shuts in. All right? Game two is kill or be killed. So it, it, to me, it's just ridiculous that these things are seven games. Uh, there's no reason for the first round to be seven games in hockey or basketball. Uh, they're never going to go back to three out of five, but they should go back to three out of five. It would be so much more enjoyable on both fronts. You wouldn't expose us to the misery of the extra fourth game route, and you wouldn't have to deal with the forever delays, three days off. You know, why, why do these things have three days TV? Okay. There's a reason they have three games up between game one and game two. I, I, I think that three out of five is super exciting. And I think it would be great for the league. I think it would bring a lot of excitement. It would bring a lot of pressure. It would bring a lot more eyes. And I just, I just think it would be really cool because the sense of urgency would be there every game, every minute of every game. In the NBA of all sports, too, when it comes to the better seed 
beating the worst seed, especially in the first round. I don't know what the stats are, but I would guarantee that more often than not, one's beaten an eight, two's beaten a seven. That's why when these Lakers got the seven seed because of what happened through their season, before the playoffs started, all the stats and all the records and all the history was a seven seed has never been a favorite, a seven season. That's because this is just how it goes in the NBA. The better seed wins the first round. Sorry, what do you want me to tell you? That's just how it goes. Make it five games. Let's get it over with. And if there is drama and you do potentially have an upset, how much more exciting are those games? Well, look, the way I look at the NBA right now is what we thought was going to be the powerhouse West has really kind of flipped. Because, quite frankly, the team that a lot of people love to start the season and going into the playoffs as we approached it, of course, the Clippers, who dodged the Lakers by losing the last game of the year in the next round uh, and got in the first round, the Dallas Mavericks find themselves down to love, losing both games at home to... I'm not going to call him the MVP, but the future MVP, uh, who has been brilliant so far. But what I can't understand is why they, for all this, what all we heard about last year with the Clippers was they now have these defenders that are so versatile that they can guard pretty much anyone on the floor, whether it's Kawhi Leonard. Uh, obviously, Paul George, what Patrick Beverly can do to opposing guards. Well, how come nobody can guard Luca? I understand he's too big for Patrick Beverly. And anytime Patrick Beverly gets stuck on him on a screen roll, he just goes right to the basket. And, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, big brother, I guess, little seeing brother. What he says to him directly. Now, Pat Beverly, as people listening know, and we know as Lakers fans, huge trash talker. Never shut Scrappy up. asshole in Never a good way. Up. I mean, he's a scrappy player. If he's on your team, you love it because he's a pest all game. Luca, several times this series, has looked at him running down the court and said, you're too fucking small. You can't guard me. And then he goes and shows him. So in the meantime, where is Paul George, and where is Kawhi Leonard when it comes down to taking a shot at guarding Luka? This was supposed to be the difference that made the Clippers an upper echelon team, was the defense of these two guys specifically because of their agility, their versatility, and their willingness to defend. Well, where are they? Where is Teron Lu saying, uh, playoff, playoff P, uh, Kawhi? When do you guys want to take a shot at guarding this guy? Because right now, he's single-handedly dismantling us. He's either scoring or kicking to Hardaway Jr. or anybody else you can mention for wide-open threes, which they're not missing. The Clippers are okay on the offensive side of the ball, pretty much, but they can't stop Dallas. And they're giving up threes and, 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 and twos. The equation doesn't work out. Playoff B can't guard anybody. He won't go to the basket, just shoots jumpers. And you know, Kawhi, for all his greatness, 
looked like he wore out yesterday in the second half. Where is the great defense that we heard so much about from these two all-world defenders? They can't stop a strong win at the defensive end of the court. They look awful defensively. Do they step up and recapture not so much the series because they'd have to win two there, but at least some self-respect, some faith in themselves, and put a little doubt in the minds of the Mavericks, who right now are flying high and thinking that they can absolutely do no wrong. If you're going to argue, which some pundits do, that Kawhi can't guard Luka because it would exert too much energy on defense, and he's got to put that energy into his offense to carry the offensive side of things and score his 30-plus points, okay, then where's Paul George? Like, that's why you brought him in. He's got to be the other guy then. If you're going to say that Kawhi has to be the offensive guy, fine. So the other guy that you pissed away draft pick after draft pick after draft pick to bring in, shouldn't he be able to guard Luka Doncic a little bit? I mean, he's had his complete way for two games. Is that going to keep up for the rest of the series? I'm sure he's he's maybe going to have a quote-unquote stinker where he scores 20 points where the Clippers might have a chance. But you can't have that argument and then not have the other person or other people on the team carry the slack. Remember, this is a team, as you said, that gave up massive amounts of draft cachet to get Paul George. They have no future, draft pick-wise. Nothing. Zero. From here for the foreseeable future. And Kawhi Leonard is a free agent. So if they go down and out, early, and Kawhi Leonard decides to fly the coop, they're left with Paul George and fill in the blanks. Just just a, just a hot mess. The Clippers become a hot mess. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. The rest of the West leaves you with, you know, Utah's the one seed. They lost the first game at home to Memphis. They bounced back last night and smoked the Grizzlies despite a brilliant effort from, uh, you know, from, from John Morant. And the powerhouse in the West seems to be not what it was. You know, Denver doesn't have Murray. They have the MVP. So. Who is the powerhouse coming out of the West? Phoenix is the two seed. Okay. Do you see Phoenix as a championship team? I don't, without, with, even with a healthy Chris Paul, my opinion. So suddenly, to me, you can make a very strong argument that the three best teams in the NBA, as we speak right now, at the time of this program, are all in the East. In the Nets, the Sixers, and the Milwaukee Bucks. They are the healthiest. They are consistently the best this year. Not a lot of low, low moments, other than you know, when they had some guys banged up and all playing very, very well to start the playoffs. So, 
you have a chance for an incredibly entertaining round of semifinals in the East. Milwaukee and the Nets has a chance to be an absolutely tremendous series. And, you know, whoever survives that and plays in in what I think will be the Sixers in the conference finals is going to be tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. I picked Milwaukee early on, as you know. I'm sticking with him. I love Drew Holiday. I think he's a brilliant defender. I think he's the best defensive guard in the league. Uh, If I could pick one player to add to the Lakers, not being, you know, some incredibly selfish, you know, give me the top superstar on the planet, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, I would say give me Drew Holiday. A brilliant defensive guard, a playmaker, an unselfish player. You know, I've said before that if in an 82-game season, if the Lakers had Drew Holiday, they went 70 games. I think he's that terrific a player because I, I think he's the total package in terms of what you need as a fit. And I, I love those kind of guys. And I think he's a perfect fit for Milwaukee. I think he makes everybody better. And I think he's the kind of player who, you know, I'll do whatever I got to do. Uh, whether it's run the offense, whether it's score, whether it's rebound, 15 assists, I believe, tonight. The game-winning block, a brilliant block in game one when they were awful and could have easily lost at home against the Heat. When he gets to the corner and blocks Jimmy Butler's three, uh, I, I just think he's a championship-type player. And I think he makes them much better than they were last year. The pendulum swing among conferences is always fascinating to me as far as what players want to jump ship from conference to conference because it used to be when LeBron was in the East, the Cavs were the team that were going to make the NBA Finals. And I'm not just saying that. They did every year. It was LeBron James in the Finals with either the Cavs or the Heat. LeBron was making the Finals. Every single year. So the thinking was, well, let's go to the West and get the hell out of here because we're not going to make it to the finals. Well, now, as you mentioned, it's interesting how that has shifted to the East. The trust the process sixers. And and it's the top. It's the top. I mean, obviously, the the, the middle down, the West is clearly superior. Right. But still, I, I think you can make a very strong argument that the top three teams in the East as a whole are clearly superior to the top three teams in the West. And I don't care what teams you want to deem the top three teams in the West. Right. If you want to make the Lakers one of them, even though we're at the seventh seed, or if you don't, it doesn't matter. I think the top three seeds in the East as a group are better than the top three seeds in the West. And like I said, we know the top three seeds in the East are. Right. We know the three best teams are. We don't even know in the West. And it's not because... You know, everybody's great. It's because a lot of these teams are really good. They they could be great, especially the Lakers. um, But we don't know how good they're going to be. We don't know if they're going to be great. Health, where you're coming from in the playoffs, and the fact that these other teams, Utah, Phoenix specifically, are unproven in the playoffs. It's a lot easier to trust the East currently than it is the West. I don't think there's a question about that because the three teams in the East, while the Nets are new with their personnel, 
you know the three are. are fairly proven players. You know I'm who they are, and they've shown it thus far in the postseason. The Sixers finally coming along. Joel Embiid, one of the best players in the National Basketball Association. And the Bucks have Giannis and have proven that they can be a fantastic basketball team, although they didn't meet expectations last season and haven't really yet. With Giannis, the potential is there. In the West now, you could see the flashes, but can you trust the teams? Can you really trust the Jazz? As you said with the Suns, they might get knocked off in the first round to a team in the Lakers that we haven't really seen whole for, what, 62 games, give or take. It feels like they've and only played a week's you know, worth of games. Can they together. figure it out in time? Not just whole, but with new faces. Exactly. You know, can they figure out what to do with Drummond as you watch him lumber up and down the court and at moments look terrific and other moments look absolutely lost? The Nuggets happen to lose their second-best player for the rest of the postseason. So is, is the Joker going to just be able to carry them all the way? Can he even carry them out of the first round? Dame Lillard against and the, Against McCall. a really good Blazer team. You know, not a great team, but a team that has a great player and some really good players. But, again, does anybody think the Blazers are going to the NBA Finals? Now, would I be shocked? No. Would I be incredibly surprised? Absolutely. The West has a lot of teams that you have no problem picking them to win a series. And it's not a surprise when they do win said series. Like if Portland beats the Nuggets, you'd say, well, of course, they could do that. But can they win multiple series and then get to the NBA Finals? That's and what then, nobody has an answer. considering what they would have to do to get there, what kind of chance would they have against one of the big three in the East? That's the other thing. Right. Whoever comes out of the West... And I know I sound like a homer, but I don't give whoever comes out of the West much of a chance against the Eastern Conference champ unless it's the Lakers because they just don't have the depth, the playoff experience, or matchup-wise, the kind of size. And I don't mean just one guy like the Joker the kind of size from a versatility standpoint, a number of guys to match up with the size that comes from Milwaukee and comes from Philly, obviously not from the Nets. Uh, although Kevin Durant is six foot 11. <laughs> um, you would never know it with his game. And that doesn't mean he doesn't go inside. He just, you know, the things that he does boggle the mind at six eleven. It's, it's not, shouldn't be legal for guys to be able to do the kind of things he, well, not guys, he uniquely can do with his skill set at six foot eleven, because quite frankly, we've never seen anyone do what he's been able to do at six foot eleven. You look at the Brooklyn Nets for these two games that they've played as of this recording against the Celtics, and you, as a fan of any other team, have to cross your fingers. And we've said this on the show before for other teams. You have to cross your fingers that one of their three best players gets injured and has to miss time. Which you never want to see. Three games. And what a terrible thing to have to wish for as a fan because they're so damn good. 
they're in the position that the Lakers are in, but are so much more beneficial because they have the one extra player of the more they're playing together, especially in these high paced postseason games, the better they're going to get. They're not going to get any worse as the postseason goes on. They're only going to get better the more they play with each other because they, again, have barely played as a threesome all season because each one of them has dealt with injuries or off-the-court things. God bless the Bucks, Having to, assuming, chalk happens, face that. We just talked about how they've, I don't want to say underperformed, but have disappointed. We haven't seen Giannis in the finals yet, one of the best players in the league. Now you got to get past the Nets. Woo! Those Nets. If you're a fan of another team, you have to think like, geez, hopefully somebody has something happen where they have to miss a couple games. That's the only way we could beat this team. At least that's how it's appeared in a small sample size against the Boston Celtics, who have dealt with their own issues throughout the season as well. So maybe not the best team to garner against, but from what we've seen, that's a terrifying basketball team which we expected it to be when they made all these moves. The funny part of it is no one seems to care. (laughs) No one is going to the games. They were begging people to go to the Barclays Center to see the first two games. James Harden doing promos on his social media. Like this and retweet it and maybe I'll get you to the game. What the hell's happening down there? Knicks are closing streets, Al, outside Madison Square Garden after the game. Avenues just shut down because people are in the streets screaming about Trey Young's baldness. And the Nets are begging people to take the subway and get off to go see their basketball team play. Amazing difference in both New York teams. But the talent is undeniable. Well, the Knicks are relying on Derrick Rose. How about Derrick Rose last night? You know, people listen in game two. He's the savior. 26 points. I mean, without Derrick Rose, they don't just lose. They get destroyed. Without the bench, they get destroyed. This bench comes out, and the crowd is shaking the place because of the way their bench is played. Maybe not the greatest thing in the world when your bench is outperforming your starters, but they won game two. I don't know how sustainable that's going to be for them. They're going to need production out of the starting five although one of them shouldn't be starting. Why they don't throw Derrick Rose out there? He still played 40 minutes. What difference is it going to hurt if he gets announced before the game and everybody could give him a cheer? And Randall has struggled, obviously, in both games. Hasn't shot the ball well at all. Uh, at times, he looks lost on the perimeter. At other times, he's been forcing. Uh, hasn't been going to the basket much. You haven't seen much from Barrett. Uh, it's really been, you know, the uh, the Minutemen, as they were called back in the Knicks championship days, which was a group coming off the bench led by the likes of uh, you know, Dave Stallworth, uh, Mike Reardon, and even Phil Jackson, uh, Cassie Russell, etc. This is the old report. Look them up, folks. The Nick bench has been terrific defensively and terrific offensively. And Derek Rose... Uh, I don't want to say you know, Randall is Randall is you know the leader of the team, but Derrick Rose right now has become for this series, these two games, this sh- very short little brief stint. The heart and soul of the next. He's become the go-to guy. Last night tie game. It's Derrick Rose. 
kind of push runner jumper in the lane after which they never trailed again when it was a tie game just when you thought you know the, the hawks had rallied and were going to take control he hits that little eight nine footer uh, that, that he literally kind of pushed up there yeah and they never trailed again and it, it seemed to just totally inspire the rest of the team obviously the crowd was nuts cheering clapping screaming spitting chanting serenading, reading, whatever adjective you want to use. Uh, but they got it done, and they go to Atlanta, 1-1, uh, in what we thought would be an, a very interesting series. And now game three is huge. Can they take back home court? And if the, if the Hawks win game three, how does that affect the next? Uh, what, what kind of attitude do they have coming out down 2-1 on the road? Because remember, everybody's playing before crowds now. Right. And there will be a lot of Knicks full, fans not, in Atlanta. Not everybody's got a full house. Atlanta, there will be Knicks fans. Absolutely. Plenty of them. Uh, but you know, everybody's not playing before a full house. But, you know, young players who've never been exposed to postseason road crowds, travel, young guys who were just in the bubble last year, uh, for example, the Heat, who have done a, a miraculous disappearing act, uh, were great last year in the bubble. Not so good. Tyler Hero, they're still looking for a hero in Miami. And they need Tyler. Uh, the difference when you go on the road, leaps and bounds in the regular season, but not even close to the kind of pressure that you were exposed to in the NBA postseason. We talked about the series getting shortened to five. That four or five series and we'll see four or five series in the West have at least lived up to what we thought it would. We talked about this being one of our spotlighted series coming into the postseason. It could go either way every night when the Knicks and Hawks play, which is what you want to see in a four or five matchup like that. Clippers have not lived up to their end of the bargain to say the least. Maybe we'll get it out of the Denver Portland series. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. It's nice to see the crowds back. Everybody in the sports realm can agree. It seems like this postseason starting and the golf championship this past weekend, not being a full crowd, but a significant number of people there comparatively to what we've seen over a year's time, just mobbing Phil Mickelson as he's getting to the 18th hole, forgetting Brooks Kepka's trying to get to the hole himself as well, having a fight through this crowd of bros running to the green to make sure they get in prime position to get their phones out and see Phil Mickelson shoot his butt. Meanwhile, Brooks Kepka's like, hey, I'm trying to trying to get my shot up too. Thanks. Thanks guys for being in the way. It felt like sports are back finally this past weekend. Although some uncomfortable feelings watching it or being in the crowds, I'm sure still it'll take a little while for that to wear off, but at least in the NBA, it's been nice to hear the chants and the crowds and passing around the papers to make sure everybody's on the same page. Speaking of Phil 50 years old, winning a PGA championship 
breaking records. Who knew? The oldest to ever do so, beating out old Tom Morris. Now, you as the old report, old Tom Morris is even too old for you because I looked up some stats on old Tom Morris, just a fascinating human being. Lived to be, I think, 86 years old. His son was called Young Tom Morris because back in those days, that's, I guess, making things easy. Old Tom Morris, Young Tom Morris. His son died at 24 years old, and old Tom Morris lived for 36 more years. Maybe not the best nickname to have given the son under the circumstances of what eventually happened. They used to go out in twosomes and wreck people on the golf course back in the 19 aughts, back in the day, literally dominating people as the Morris duo. And then unfortunately his son passed away and old Tom Morris was left to his own guard, but not to be confused of course, with the Morris twins. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, mom and dad, didn't don them old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris, depending on which Morris twin was born first and second. They went with traditional names for their family to differentiate them. But were you rooting for Phil? Did you have any excitement for the golf when he was in the lead? Would he hold on? He's old. How exciting. What excitement did you have for the golf tournament? I've always been a huge Phil fan because being the old report, uh, my all-time favorite golfer is Arnold Palmer. And I remember Arnold Palmer, not in his prime, but when he still had a lot left. But my first memories of Arnold Palmer in a major was when Arnold Palmer basically gagged and gave away the U.S. Open. I believe he had a six or seven shot lead in the final round. He exploded on the back nine, uh, lost the lead. They went to a playoff and he blew another lead against Billy Casper and wound up never winning another major. And that's when I was about eight or nine, uh, probably about 10 years old. And the thing about Arnold Palmer, even then Arnold Palmer was the most popular player on the planet. Arnold Palmer was electric. He had the army. I believe Arnold Palmer is the most beloved athlete ever. You want to say, well, he's a golfer. Arnold Palmer's fans, it was a legion. Arnie's army was amazing. And it didn't matter who you were, male, female, old, young, married, single. Everybody loved Arnie. He was a swashbuckler. He always went for it. He was colorful. He was the charger. He was the rallier. Everybody loved Arnie Palmer. Did you hear the crowd on TV or radio or however you would listen to the tournaments back then like you can now for Arnie's Army? Was it audible to hear the roars? It was rabid. It wasn't just audible. It was nuts. There was what they called a birdie roar, and there was an Arnie roar. You knew the difference. He was magnetic, magnificent, electric, plain and simple. And his downfall was the fact that, as I said the other day on the radio, and I don't know if it was Dan Jenkins, the great writer for Sports Illustrated, who wrote it, but wrote about Arnold Palmer. He's, you know, Arnie's one of his great traits, which is also one of his biggest downfalls, is he always went over the mountain. 
He never looked to go around. And every once in a while, you got to take the safe way out. And that's the way Mickelson played for the first half of his career. And still, even times in the second half of his career, he threw away U.S. Open, which he still never won. Arnie never won the PGA. It's the one major he never won. Phil's never won the U.S. Open. It's the one major he hasn't won. And Mickelson is not Arnie, but he is the closest thing we've had to Arnie. Like Arnie wasn't the greatest golfer of all time because he was replaced by Nicholas and beaten by Nicholas, and Nicholas wound up being a, you know, a better player with twice as many majors. But Palmer was far and away the more important player. Now, Tiger's more important than Nicholson, and Tiger's the better player than Mickelson. But Mickelson is incredibly popular, and I would argue the excitement that Mickelson generates is even more than Tiger. And I'm put, separating out this, this Tiger Masters because that involved the comeback, that involved the return to greatness, that involved the major we never thought him win again. Phil, the people are nuts. The people love the smile. The people love the tan. The people love lefty. The people love the fact that he goes for it. And the fact that, you know, they never know what to expect. He could go birdie, 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 triple bogey. And that's just the way he plays. And uh, he has got an incredibly loyal and rabid following because of his personality and the style with which he plays. And uh, he's a modern day, not to the extent, but he's the closest thing we have to Arnold Palmer in today's game. I didn't realize how few old, quote-unquote, golfers there were that have won championships. I was somewhat surprised at how aghast golf people were that a 50-year-old could win a championship like Phil did, because I don't think of Phil as old. I mean, he was driving it 330-plus yards out driving the Brooks Kepka, of the week. still he's playing with everybody. Much better shape, much better physical condition. He's never going to be chiseled, but uh, he got himself in much better physical condition to try and compete with these guys. And right now, the Lakers, taking a break from that, can't put the ball in the ocean, and they're up four, 43-39, folks, in the last possession of the first half. Yes, that's not the last possession of the first quarter. That's 43-39 in the last possession of the first half as both teams have had a miserable shooting evening with the exception of uh, Guyton, who continues to make every layup he shoots and shoot nothing but layups. But uh, you know, Nicholas, Nicholas was 47, uh, and he was the oldest, and we all remember when he won uh, his last major with the crowd going nuts. Uh, which nobody thought he would be able to do. And you kept waiting, you know, for Phil to have that moment where he gave it away. And it was almost, in a way, it was similar to some extent to Tiger's last round of the Masters where Tiger didn't play great. He just kind of navigated his way around the course. And everybody else fell by the wayside, going in the water, in that corner, etc. That's pretty much after a slow start where the lead flipped on the first hole, what happened with Phil? Uh, he played kind of up and down, but stayed the course, no pun intended, 
birdied 10 to take a four stroke lead and then just kind of navigated his way home. He had a couple, you know, he went in the water one spot, but you know, Kepka couldn't really get anything going. Uh, Louis, Lil Louie uh, was up and down. And just when you thought he would be there, uh, you know, he had a double bogey. Then he almost had an eagle on 17 where he just missed the eagle putt. But then Phil answered with a birdie of his own and you know, got to take a hand ride home with a beautiful approach on 18. Uh, and it was it was great to watch because as, as, a, as a non-golfer, but as a huge fan of watching the sport and what they do, because I've watched it for years. I literally have watched majors, like I said, for 55 years between the Masters and the U.S. Open and the PGA uh, and, and the British Open, clearly from the time I was in grade school. They're thrilling to watch how the players deal with the pressure. And you wonder, all he's got to do is hit this one straight. Not so easy, my friend. You know, why do, how do you how do you how do you not stay out of the water there? You go try it. I can't hit a ball straight ten feet. Now I understand I'm nothing resembling a, a pro or even a hacker. But the point is, everybody makes it out to be so easy. And why couldn't you just do this? Well, it's an incredibly difficult, and frustrating sport. And watching how they react to the pressure in certain spots, to me, because there's Yes, they've got it. And caddies are incredible. It's amazing how helpful these guys are. Phil had his brother on the bag, which was very cool. And, you know, I don't know how these guys would survive without the assistance of their cat. And they always give their caddies credit. But it's literally like they're they're like a coach on the, on the course with the yardage, with the wind, with the club selection, with the break on the greens. And when you hear them mic'd up, it's really interesting to listen to. Let's remember that this was a phenomenal field. I believe 99 of the top 100 players were in this field. If you can fathom that. And the cherry on the Sunday, as he said in some of the uh, post-round interviews, he played in the last pairing with one of the greatest players of today. Yep. Brooks Kepka has already got three PGAs under his belt, I believe, and four majors. Correct me if I'm wrong. And there they were, going to the last round, head to head, mano a mano, the entire round. And the lead flipped on the first, very first hole. And instantly people think, oh, here you go. There you go. It's going to run and hide. When's Phil going to blow it again? Well, Phil's going to shoot 76. And Kepka's going to shoot you know, 69. And he's going to win by five, six strokes. Instead, it flipped again. And Phil kept on trucking. And Kepka ran into trouble. Couldn't make a putt when he needed to. Got him, couldn't hit it straight when he needed to. And rallied late. But came up a buck short. And here is old lefty. He, like Arnie, he's got the missing link. Arnie couldn't win the PGA. Phil has had the U.S. Open escape. And Phil, unfortunately, oftentimes 
gets brushed under the rug and has for a lot of his career because of who happened to also be playing golf at the same time in Tiger Woods, who at one point for so many years was so good that there wasn't an opportunity to have a Phil Tiger pairing down the stretch, 18 to go on a Sunday. Who's going to win? Because Tiger was winning championships by double-digit strokes. Completely unfair. Thankfully, we have gotten it in recent years. Unfortunately, Tiger now injured, but the match. Finally, we get to see these dudes on the course, talking trash, hearing them mic'd up. Too little, too late, unfortunately, because of age. But that's unfortunate for Phil, is that his career has been alongside Tiger Woods, and now he's going up against these youngins and kick their ass. And and that was remarkable. It really was. It was for him to have the longest drive of the week. When and you could see, they zoomed right in on the ball bouncing down the fairway, and there he goes past Brooks Kepka shot. Yep. It's like, wow, yep. 50 my ass. Exactly. Let's go. Exactly. But still using the old blade putter. Absolutely. Not one of those yep. big monsters. Not one of those long old folks guys. Nope. Using the old blade. Took it from the old putt-putt course and never let it go. That's there my putter go. for the rest of my life. That's exactly. Love to see it. Fingers crossed for the Lakers as the week moves on. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, from my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am El Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Have a great sports weekend and a healthy Memorial Day. Remember all our veterans and those who fought for us. Stay safe. Take care, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>